ไฟเฟียฟุ้งเซ็กซีเบนออกลิกแลบเอาแอคิบุนเซฮัชชี่ but that's Japanese that's Japanese um, anyway that's what I got from okay. my two years in German dude this movie was like a that for me this movie was um, like that 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 once upon a time in Hollywood meme but for dudes who took two uh. years of German 15 years ago anytime they said a word I knew I was like bitter 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 I know that one well not even I was thinking I never took German but um, my family's from Austria. My dad's side of the family is Austrian, which is what good old Geralt is. Um, oh, so it's, Rivia? No, the guy who made this film, Gerald Ger- <laughs> Cargill, <laughs> uh, which sounds like a kind of fish dish. Um, I, I was I was snapping and snapping up and pointing at the screen with all of the um, intro to uh, you know psychology one hundred one level courses I took in college, being like all of these, <laughs> all of the the basic concepts of serial killers and childhood traumas yeah. rearing themselves and manifesting i i i know it's bro i know it's certainly anachronistic to think this way but i was like is this one of the movies that like kick-started all of the like i feel like if you go up to anyone and you're like mm-hmm. tell me something about like a serial killer it's like oh you know they probably their like mom hates their them. mom hates them they probably tortured animals as a kid and that's yeah. that's all here on the screen in this film oh oh wait hold on sorry shit didn't see you there what's up nerds welcome back to region <laughs> free um can we circle back to that in a moment we will circle back to that in a moment okay. T- today uh it's me aj moser joined as always by the wonderful blake hester today we're talking about a a, 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 a film by gerald cargill as, as we've already discussed it's called angst as we were debating before the recording here now the, th- the film is not called angst it's not about uh teenage and we and uh, a sense of of misbelonging it's it's right. it's rather a very intense and frightfully depicted spiral of a serial killer recently escaped from prison who acts on the urge to kill again this is the point so, we're, cir- we're circling back now so powerful is cinema as an art form mm-hmm. That today, while I was making my breakfast, dear listener, most mornings for breakfast, I just eat like a ma- a mess of eggs. Like I just crack eggs into the pan and kind of just mush them together till they're cooked. Like not scrambled yeah. eggs because I don't put like milk or cream in it. It's just, you know what I'm talking about. You ever do that? Uh-huh. Uh, listeners, like a- check out the last film that we talked about, Evil Dead Rise, uh, if you want to see what Blake's bre- yeah, ki- breakfast kind of, look like. Kind of. And then I had a. Um, Usually I eat that in like a banana, just as like a little protein, a little little uh, potassium mm-hmm. to get ready for the day. That's right. But today I had one meatless apple cooked sausage in my fridge, and sometimes I'll cut that up and put it in the egg. But today I just I cooked it and put the whole sausage in there like a German, and that was the power of cinema. And I sat there, I was like, it's kind of like that movie Angst. There is a real thought I had. There's uh, a lot of disturbing, today. a lot of disturbing tormented content in this film Mm. nothing got a reaction out of me more than this motherfucker walking into a diner sitting down being handed just a nude sausage link and a pile of mustard and then watching him raw dog that shit pick it up dip it in the mustard and chow down twice twice well well what do you think about me mushing together a bunch of eggs and a hot pan and then just throwing a hot sausage uncut on top of them and eating that for well, breakfast as I stared at Game Informer Slack, thinking to myself, this is kind of like that movie nice. Angst. M- much like the main character of this film, I know that you've done many worse things, so I'm not too worried about what you're eating for breakfast. AJ, I feel like this movie has existed in my brain for a long time. It's almost this like forbidden fruit. Walk me through it. You Walk know, me through it. Of- well, the film is a German film. Austrian. And that's all you need to know. Um, oh, Austrian? is What's the difference? They speak German. I don't want to start an international incident here, but Austria is one of those... It's 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 like similar to the Russia Ukraine thing. It's like a reclaimed territory from oh, an okay. old war where they're they're spinning it off on their own. Even geographically, they're uh, contained within the the boundaries of it. It's whatever. Oh, I see. Okay. Fifty so percent of Austri- my DNA is from Austria. This is fifty. 50- the hundred percent of my DNA is from Louisville, fucking Kentucky, bitch. Blah blah blah. Uh, uh, I actually don't know where my family's from. I don't really care because I'm from Kentucky, and that's all that matters. Um, 
Yeah, so this is an Austrian film uh, following, crucially, it's a slasher, following the killer. That is kind of its uh, one of its main twists upon the standard genre. And AJ, I had known about this movie for a long time, though I think in some ways I had it conflated with, oh, what is it? I'll have to look it up. I realized halfway through this movie I confused it with a different film. But regardless, it, it, it always felt like kind of this forbidden fruit, like this this extreme horror film that like art house has claimed, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like I knew Gaspar Noe spoke very highly of it. Um, I would see people kind of in my sphere that didn't really watch the movies I watched, but they were like, Hey, angst, you really got to see this. This is kind of like a cinephile horror thing. Like it's, it's really transgressive. It's really gnarly, but like you got to watch it to believe it. And maybe that led me to go into it with my expectations a little too high. I'm curious if you had any expectations or foreknowledge here, but I will say what I got was not at all what I thought I was going to get. And that's not just because I mistook this for a different film for a few minutes. I had seen the poster for this film before. Yeah. Got a Mm -hmm. pretty striking poster. That's like a knife jutting into frame and just a close up of a woman's screaming face. It's kind of an an indelible image. If you've seen it once, it's going to stick with you for forever. But, um, no, when you texted me a couple of days ago and we're like, let's cover this on Region Free, A, I was like, seems neat. I got very intrigued when I saw that 75-minute runtime. Yes, sir. Which is, Except which we'll is actually the to. director's cut. The theatrical release was the 83-minute version that's streaming on movie. Oh. So that's the version so that we- I watched. So the director's cut is shorter. Shorter. And I think you, you know the context here that I believe it's um, – missing probably that that intro segment mm-hmm. before yeah. the opening credits which not to jump too far ahead is maybe my favorite bit of the entire film but it's it's very striking um i, I maybe could have done with a, you know we'll have to talk about the monologues about serial killers in this that are was probably way more effective in the 80s when this film came out for it sure feels very very rote however the very very first scene when we are introduced to our character and more importantly introduced to the camera of this movie, I was like, what the fuck? So uh, also, sorry, really quick. I realized I had kind of mixed up this and the vanishing. Okay. Who's that by? I haven't, uh, George Sluizer. The only thing I know about the vanishing is it's a similar, sim- I feel like similarly talked about as uh, angst. Kind of more mainstream, despite how gnarly it might be. I've heard the ending of that movie is like unbelievably scary, mm. um, and I think I kind of mixed these. Oh two yeah, up yeah, yeah. So, so this is one that, upon release, was basically sight unseen, banned in all of Europe, mm-hmm. and <laughs> talking about angst again. Not yes, talking about angst. I want to, uh, can't find it, but I, I was trolling through the letterbox reviews for this and i came yep. across one of my all-time favorites which says uh i'm assuming you know gerald never made a movie after this because they locked him up for being too much of a sicko but uh <laughs> actually weirder uh after this he mainly made like educational and children's documentaries. yeah his his, his this is like his only feature film his his yep. filmography before this is like short form experimental documentary stuff which the the bridge there is rather clear when you look at how this film is shot and sort of the subject matter that it mm. depicts and it's shot very starkly just in terms of of plotting and i imagine that like the filming and the budget and all of the set locations for this outside of that kind of mansion that the main part of the film takes place in i say mansion it's just a nice european home but it's beautiful it's um yeah but it's fucking weird oh Some way we're yeah gonna... At some point, we're going to need to address the allegations of weird in this movie. <laughs> you, it's you not dodging. You thought one. that you thought this movie was weird. <laughs> this movie's fucking strange. This is a strange film, and I know, I know, I know. Blake Hester's been been waiting for this one, so I've got my I've got my letterbox open on the other mm. tab here. It's time for me to okay. it's time for me to log angst. I'm going to go ahead and a gum for this. Uh, a what? A gum. Oh, I don't know what I thought you said. Okay. You thought I said cum. I thought you said gummy, and I was like, are you off that CBD uh, right now? Uh, no, I'm sober, bro. D- is CBD not straight edge? It's like... Cock, cock and ball domination. Jesus Christ. Okay. <laughs> I'm hitting the watched button, because I watched this at the right 
time of 11.45 p.m. last night. I just got home from seeing Return of the Jedi in theaters. Wonderful experience. And I was like, let me get a little freaky oh, I didn't, let me get a little I didn't realize you it. watched this last night. I feel like I texted you after that. I, we talked I popped up popped up on my iPad in bed, 11.35 p.m. I was like, I know this thing's an hour and 20 minutes. So I'm hitting that watch button. I watched it. Oh, am I going to hit the like button? I'm going to go ahead and hit the like button on that bad boy. I'm going to go ahead and, go. and rate it now. One star. Okay. Two stars. Okay. Three stars. That's my score. Four stars. Holy shit. No. Four and a half stars. No way. A five bagger. This is a five bagger. Are you kidding me? Loved this movie. Adored this film. Beautiful film. (gasps) Great experience. Wow. Okay. But let me say, I clocked this. Hold on. I said last night, 10.44 p.m. Central Time, 11.44 p.m. Eastern Time. Yeah. Right, right as, you were right as I was film, watching it. I said clocking a thing. No, wait. No, I said this at 10. You were like 10, you were like 10 minutes in. You're going to love this thing. I said, I got a feeling you're going to F with it heavy. The heaviest. There we go. I know my man's. Shots called. I mean. Dude, okay. You have to. Just, you have let to. Let me sit back and you tell me. Yeah. Everything. You've you've got to place yourself in the you know the time in which this movie's coming out and the things that haven't haven't been done in mm-hmm. cinema yet and so you know I definitely can hold against this movie watching it now seeing the tropes that it's playing on and kind of a yeah. lot of the really played out ground that it covers which at the time was not as well tread as it is right now and it's so sure. striking and stark to see something forty years old do yeah. what so much media these days is is still trying to capture and doing it just Absolutely. infinitely more effectively. There, Like, you go on Netflix <clears throat> any day of the week and there are a hundred new serial killer documentaries or reenactments that are not only disrespectful schlock, but just made with such a film filmic incompetence. Mm-hmm. And a film like this, which has no negative space or empty moments wasted within it it's wall-to-wall monologues and action and like literally living with this character following him like a camera over his shoulder that the documentary filmmaking style obviously coming back into mind here um the jittery camera editing the incredibly haunting score it's got everything i want to see in a movie about it and uh in and out in under 90 minutes come on what what can you what can you say what can you say about this thing uh so I I want to I want to circle back to when I said some of the monologue stuff 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 felt rote. I am not holding that against the film by any means. I just think like I couldn't separate it from when I was seeing it. You know what I'm saying? Totally. But I can obviously watch it and recognize that this shit was probably hitting way different. When, when did the film come out? Eighty three. In eighty three. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I recognize for sure that that would have been really impactful. Um, the thing that immediately struck me that like. Then this is well, I guess to some degree it's a narrative thing, but it's more a technical choice in this film that I loved as a connective tissue between uh, it and Gaspar Noé. Also, just as like you're crazy for this one, Cargill is the camera is wasting no time getting into the craziest positions. It feels like most of this movie is filmed with the camera on a. Um, uh, like a, a tracking wire. Yeah. You know, it's often way above the serial killer, almost voyeuristically, the, which I don't know if it was an intentional choice, but obviously this man spends a lot of time watching other people in a voyeurist <laughs> manner. And the camera often feels voyeuristic of his actions. We do have a lot of closer tracking shots where the camera's moved in on him, but there's plenty where the camera separates it while he's walking through a street where you feel very detached mm-hmm. as if, like you are kind of peering in on a moment you shouldn't be. And and so much of that is like these empty houses or back alleys or a lot of mm-hmm. like, you know, there's that great scene where he's stumbling through the country roads after he freaks out that taxi driver. Like all of these these shots of uh the main actor Irwin later, wanna get that right. Who's also in one of the underworld films, shouts out Kate Beckinsale. Is that true? 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, he didn't go through his. He didn't go through that. Oh, I definitely did. Okay, he's in the first underworld. I, I got yeah. to. I saw Schindler's List and Das Boot, and I was like, okay, I know who we're dealing with here. Uh, one, uh, you missed Underworld. Yeah, three, three films of equal stature. Uh, one, <laughs> one of the all-time faces on this guy. I mean, like, dude. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's. This is okay. So like. This is one of those things, you know, possession, I think, like, we are fortunate to live in the correct history for possession, where that was a film that was banned, underseen, you know, infamously on the video nasties list, and people have fully come around and embraced it. It's getting all the re-releases and everything. Uh, Ajani, the actress in it, has... You know, maybe not widely by pop culture or the mainstream, but... If you know what you're about, yeah. Yeah, basically been recognized as one of the best to ever do it. I think in the slasher pantheon, it's unfortunate that this actor... What's his name? I'm sorry. Erwin Leader. Erwin Leader is not recognized as one of the greats in slashers because there are truly, like, no others, like, slasher antagonists like this. And that has a lot to do with the perspective of the film, which I'm sure we'll get into. You know, this is not told from the victim's eyes by any means. Uh, But also, like... He just brings a rawness and a little sickoness to this movie that, like, you don't get from a faceless Jason or a Michael. Just it, well, exactly. I, I was very, um, you know, not in the moment conscious of, mm. of what was coming up in my mind. But as I was watching this film, I was starting to realize, like, okay, I've shifted into this, like, Texas Chainsaw Halloween kind of mindset where there's just this... Yep shape this unknowable figure who's stalking the frame but the kind of the kind of difference here is that it's this guy and you see his face and you know him very well and you're following him from frame one pretty much all the way to the end and there are these two kind of distinct types of shots that so much of the film is framed in as you were talking about earlier with that voyeuristic angelic camera um there's the shot from behind his head sort of above his shoulders where you're seeing him you know, lumbering around. I don't know exactly how tall he is. He's a tall, tall, lanky, yeah. long, skinny, gaunt man. Um, and so you're just seeing this this noodly figure fumbling around the abandoned streets of, of Austria. And then there's this other type of shot, which is basically the, mo- the moment I knew I was watching an all-timer, which is when the camera comes around to the front side of him and there's this shaky jittery exaggerated motion where everything on the screen is moving as much as if not more than the character himself i mean yeah i i was thinking like you know stylistically a little wes anderson as well i know that he's kind of known for very static composed symmetrical shots but something that's really interesting about wes anderson's films that i've been clocking as i've been rewatching a lot of them is thinking about when he's moving the camera and what he's doing with that, you know, just because it's so rare and so often. And so that thinking about the motion and the kineticism of the camera in that style, applying that to this film where everything is just off balance and there is no recognizable tether or anchor in any moment. And you're meant to feel disoriented and discomforted, which is exactly what everything in this movie is doing. No, it, it, I, I can see the Wes Anderson. I think it reminded me closer of like uh, Kinji Fukasaku, mm-hmm. actually. Now, not the not the like uh, wire shots and all of that, but the like I don't know handy cam or whatever. You know, the more Gonzo feeling stuff in this feels a lot like, uh, especially some of the early Yakuza stuff and Battles Without Honor and Humanity he was doing, where the camera at some point is like going like a full 90 degrees sideways it is like completely incomprehensible in a fight what is happening like it's just chaos at all moments like parts of this movie kind of reminded me of that and then the dreamy etherealness like yeah something like a wes anderson mm-hmm. or you, you, uh, a gaspar noe you, you used an interesting word there and i don't want to run past it too much you said it's got a little gonzo style and i'm gonna i'm gonna put a gif here in the chat because this is immediately okay. also what i thought about so because you use the word gonzo, here's an image that immediately came to my mind where I was watching this. This is a gif from the most recent uh, Muppets movie, and it's of a character running. And watch that gif and tell me it's not exactly the same as what this movie looks that, like. That is angst. You know what it reminded me of? What's that? Um, an exhibit music video. I can't remember for what song, but it's an exhibit music video where he's running and they got the they got the attachment mm. that they put on him and... Look, this movie is about as long as the average television episode these days. 
like an hour 20 uh, with not a lot of fat on it. In, in terms of plotting and structure, it's very straightforward, but the, the presentation of it, particularly the kind of pre-roll bit that maybe is excised in the director's cut, I just think is so um, no-nonsense. I was going to say nonsensical, but of course it's no-nonsensical. It's anti-nonsensical. It's just mm-hmm. a very plain-faced depiction of living in this headspace and a kind of you know, there are some time skips when it comes to, like, he's falling asleep and days blending together. But for the most part, it's sort of just like a day in the life of maybe the most fucked up dude to ever do it. Well, it, it, it humanizes him, but not in the way you might think. Where when we when we talk about humanizing enemies or villains or killers in films, we usually think about it from a sympathetic point of view. And while sure. this film gives you the information that, like, could lead to sympathy, like abusive family life, etc., uh, the movie never goes so far as to indict him. I mean, the story does, he goes to prison, but like this, the movie never goes so far to say, Hey, he's a bad man for this. It obviously lets you watch his actions and put that together for yourself, but also never goes so far to try to trick you into sympathizing with him. You can have the information to do it, but it's never trying to sway you one way or the other. It almost has a documentary feel in that way where obviously uh, documentaries are not, wholly objective pieces of media, you know what I'm... But, nevertheless, it does feel like you are just watching, you are just consuming the information. It is presented to you as it happened. Take with it what you will. And by the end of it, like, I was like, yo, man, I, f- I feel bad for you. That sucks that you had a shitty, uh, shitty role in life, but, uh... I feel bad having yeah, I, watched I, what you did. I wouldn't. Now. I wouldn't have done it that way. I wouldn't have. It wouldn't have gone down yeah. like that for me. Like if I was there, it would have been different for real. <laughs> if I was there in 1983, and let's let's talk about the um, kind of based on a, a true story nature of it all, because it's mm, it's. So, so I didn't look into any of this. Okay, I I only um, pulled up the sort of. I wanted to like reference if that was true or tongue in cheek. And it, it is all, all sort of loosely inspired by a specific Austrian uh, mass murderer, uh, Werner Kneisek. Werner Herzog? No. <laughs> um, but I, I think, you know, at the time that this film is being made and, and what you're allowed to do on screen or things that have been done before, even just doing one of those kind of like ripped from the headlines or inspired by true events things on a film of this scale obviously like no major studio or stars are signing up and and getting into it in the way that they would be now but it was probably still pretty provocative and controversial and i have to imagine that that played into the very um dramatic response and like yeah hand wringing and and we got to ban this thing and can't let the children see it that was almost immediately met with my source here is Gaspar Noe speaking in a introduction for a DVD of this film. So fact check it. A man who's but, a uh, man who's never been wrong. Uh, he, he, I mean, he talked about how, like, in some places, it was only played in porno theaters. Which, <laughs> honestly, with like the film grain yeah. and everything that's going on, it feels like it could get pornographic. And I was, I, I was worried that it was gonna like start to bleed out into sure. sexual violence which i'm just sort of realizing that i'm i'm pretty much over as a film viewer i'm not into like mm. those those lines blurring of of violence becoming sex or sexual assault and and the thematic tension from all of that like I, i'm sure that will never come back while we watch east asian films for I'm sure. sure that won't be a problem for in sure east asian film. but like even the ones you least expect <laughs> you know it gets pretty close in this film and he's definitely targeting younger women for a good a good chunk of yeah. it but um no i think this film is pretty preoccupied with human on human violence and and the capacity for us to endure and enact those sorts of things and what it would take to like push someone to this uh breaking point uh, as as the main character in this film who's who goes unnamed and i was actually really surprised at the end to see that the narration was a completely different performer because then i started yeah. to think like you know what yeah this guy really didn't kind of talk too much and so much of his performance and i felt like i knew him so well was just from his body language and his facial expressions and all of that. And it's just so well realized. This is, this is a, a total aside, but in that, again, in that Gaspar Noe thing I watched, he talked about how he actually preferred the French dub of this film hmm. 
which maybe works because you don't see as much mouth moving because a lot of it is VO. Yeah. But he also said, and like I assume he is someone who doesn't mind reading subtitles. He thought reading subtitles for this movie took away from the sense of being put in this person's brain, where if you hear it with your native language, or at least a language you're fluent enough in to understand it, you can like supplant yourself more into the idea of being trapped in the killer's brain, which I thought was a really fascinating concept. I watched it in German with subtitles. Yeah, me too. Um, There was no English dub that I am aware of, or at least available to me, but like that was his take. He's like, I much rather prefer to watch the French version of this movie rather than the original. And I mean, to that end as well, I know it's just dubbing, but like, this is a film that is impossible to remake now because like what makes it so special is what it looks like and when it came out and what it was doing. Um, So, you know, any, any attempt to sort of recapture or rebottle the magic of this movie will just certainly fall flat. Like if you, if you pluck out the, the bare bones structure of it, it's been done a million times but again mm-hmm. there's something so electric about just the way everything is captured and portrayed here i know it's i know it's far from the first time that you know murders and and housebreaking intos were depicted on screen like you know wes craven's doing a lot of that well before this i imagine um it, yeah but it, i guess Last yeah House on the left stuff like that um it, it's something about it just feels so kinetic and new even watching it now the thing that makes its horror work is also something that makes Inside's horror work that I don't think we necessarily talked about is like, and angst goes much further than Inside in this uh, respect, but like, is its perspective shift to the killer? I mean, think about how much time we spend with the killer and Inside that we don't in other slashers. And this film, save for a, a second here or there, like you never leave the killer's perspective. Mm-hmm. And so the horror, rather, is like, you know, in movies, the whole point of watching a character is to eventually, you know, relate to them, empathize with them, etc. And when you're only given the perspective of someone doing something heinous and nihilistic and, you know, nasty, like, as a viewer, you start to get scared because you're like, I, I can't. I, I like this. I, I can't empathize with this. Yeah, this what is. What is going on? Like, you are just horrified to be stuck with this man, which I'd have to imagine is how the people who were murdered by him fucking felt. It's, it's very leering and definitely voyeuristic. It's kind of just, you know, pointing a camera at these actions and saying, like, sit there and watch it, for, for lack of a better phrase. Yeah, and, you know, like, I, I feel like I, I this is so okay this is an interesting thought experiment but like you know someone who watches a lot of extreme horror which can often be front to back you are just going to watch a a person suffer and die and then the credits are going to roll effectively this movie isn't extreme in that degree that's effectively what this is here and so i guess for listeners who are hearing us describe the film who haven't seen it i guess what would you say are its merits to watch for even if for someone who might be like, I don't know if I want to just watch human suffering for 90 minutes. Like I don't, I don't watch August underground because of that. You know, I'm quoting a hypothetical listener here. I of course have subjected myself to that. Why would you, why would you suggest watching angst over something else that on the surface might just be 90 minutes of human suffering? Yeah. I, I didn't find anything about it particularly frightening or like thinking about it as a horror film i really wasn't in that headspace at all it's a very kind of twisted psychological drama that definitely does have some violence and more disturbing elements to it um i i think of it much i think of it a lot like a film that i don't really like as much as this one or as much as most people do which is a clockwork orange which kind of i think in uh Two in one third of the runtime, this film accomplishes a lot of what that film sure. is doing. It's obviously missing the specific societal context and commentary that's happening in in that film, but the sort of depravity and looking at like what it takes to get someone to a breaking point like that, you know, it's in a, a similar headspace here. And even something like American Psycho, which was definitely like another touch point, which just kind of mm. like here's here's someone who from a kind of uh, appear on an appearance level seems kind of put together and normal and wouldn't strike you as someone who's like everything has gone wrong for, but 
yeah. the course of the film that you will watch, you'll see, of course, that everything is not, you know, what we deem as, as normal and acceptable in society. And so uh, just thinking about mm-hmm. that and the production qualities of this film, and again, like, it's it's it, it's an enchanting watch with the cinematography mm-hmm. and the score. All of it just makes for this completely engrossing experience. Uh, that... The score. The score. The composer of which... A founding member of Tangerine Dream. Don't think was in Tangerine Dream very long. However, yeah, did a lot of film scores. I definitely dug into his Wikipedia because I was like, I hear so much. Again, mm-hmm. Tangerine Dream, John Carpenter, a lot of these ambient electronic film scores from the late seventies and early eighties that were just you know like defined that that sound. But they work for a reason because it sounds fucking cool. Something I want to call out that I loved about this movie. Um, So there are, I guess, four technically, but in the meat of the film, three murders that happen. Um, To quickly summarize, our killer, let loose from prison, decides, I'm going to kill again. I'm going to get away with it. This leads him to a house. not the first time he's done either of those things, as we come to learn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, He goes to a house. Seems like a good place. A family occupies it, a widowed mother with her daughter and uh, physically and mentally handicapped son, which is kind of rough to watch what happens to that son happen, and a, uh, and a dachshund. Uh, so the, the killer thinks he's going to pull off his, his idea of a perfect murder. There is some pretty heavy implications that there is, you know, the sexual desire in fe- scaring people and murdering people. Um, though it never does go to sexual violence. Well, there's a really great, uh, not to interrupt, uh, but like there's a really great kind of play on that where he's in a diner and he's kind yeah. of like looking around and he he takes note of these two young girls and he kind of, again, in this detached monologue voice is talking about like, oh, like what we're going to do together is going to be perfect and it's beautiful. And, yeah. and as you're listening to this for the first time, I'm I'm obviously thinking like, okay, this is a sexual desire that he's talking about enacting. And then by the end of the film, you realize like, no, he's like referring to his murders in some sort of like ritualistic artistic way, which again, not it's been done before, but it's just so compelling in this film. So he, he breaks into this home. He has this idea. He's probably been plotting over for 10 years in prison and the slammer and the clink. uh, And it all just goes wrong. Like he fumbles through it. Nothing goes according to plan, but he does kill the people. He drowns the son. He uh, scares the mother to death and then throws her down a staircase. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which we'll need to come back to the weird stop motion moment with the mother. And then uh, brutally stabs the daughter in a, uh, I don't know what you would even call that tunnel below the house. It's kind of strange. Yeah, like a crypt almost. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. But what I love about the corpses, this is all to say, they make the corpses look like corpses. Oh, yeah. So, in a lot of movies, you probably just don't hang around a corpse long enough in a film to see them go blue. Or, if you see them, they're decomposed. But, like, these bodies sit there long enough that they go cold, and they do a full makeup on them to make them, like, blue in the face and pale. And it is... I truly, like... It was arrested. I, I There's can't a, think of another movie that like kind of went for that part of the decomposition process. There's like a the early shot blue in the face. There's a shot of the mother after she's been killed that struck me very much like uh, how Lynch shoots Laura Palmer in the pilot of mm. Twin Peaks. That like oh sure iconic yeah. image of her wrapped up in the plastic and it's like yeah recognizably human and feels still like a mold of the actress's face. But you're like that's yeah. that is a dead person. Yeah. Uh, so did you notice when the mother is so like the mom is ill she's very old and she seems to she's she it, it seems like she has some kind of attack heart attack or whatever she's kind of like catatonic for sure and then the killer just force feeds her her medicine but like gives her like 20 pills probably just inducing an overdose on top of whatever's <laughs> happening anyway he gets her into a wheelchair and just shoves it in anger at the wall did you notice the weird Stop motion as she hit the wall. Yeah, it felt like something out of uh, like a Shinya Tsukamoto joint. It was really strange. <laughs> like she hits the wall and then across just three frames kind of climbs up the wall and then is just stuck standing there for the rest of the movie. 
It was such a bizarre choice that I could not nail down the hows or whys of. And maybe that doesn't matter. But, like, the rest of the kills are played fairly straight. Like, he drowns the man and then stabs the daughter. And that's it. But the mom gets this weird, like, slapstick moment. Yeah. Definitely intriguing. Yeah. I, I want to re- say more about it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, I'm thinking about it, too. Yeah, the, the the image that sticks out to me from that sequence is kind of after it's been said and done again, where it's just, like, her frightened body frame crumpled up in the corner over there. And you're kind of mm-hmm. just like, again, th- like, it's not, you know, there's... There's not a ton of on-screen violence in this movie, but, like, the threat of it and the actions of it is hanging over a lot of it. Like, it's a ton of chasing or stalking or, like, slashing, especially in that last confrontation with the daughter. Like, he's following her for quite a while. But, like, when the kills are on screen, yeah, all all of them are pretty gnarly. And and I was thinking about rewinding all the way to that very first sequence, which we should talk about um or you know debate the merits of because apparently the the director doesn't like it himself very much if he cut it all the way out but it's yeah. it's definitely my kind of favorite bit and, and like a very good way to just ease yourself in and and kind of plunge into the the world of this film which is just him walking through the streets you're getting that voiceover narration again about where he's been and what he wants to do and he goes to uh the house of a very old couple and and the lady answers the door and is basically just like hey how can i help you and he says something that's incredibly terrifying which is just like i'm gonna i'm gonna shoot you now i'm gonna start shooting i think is what he says and then later in voiceover he's like i don't even know why i said that but he he does and he just murks these two old people and then that's kind of the inciting incident like we're into the opening credits then which is again like a very basic sort of psych psychology slideshow of like here's the serial killer here's what he did he had a tormented childhood he abused animals his mother never loved him he's been in and out of prison because he did this and did that and the day he got out he uh, went to the park and cut a swan's neck open and drank all of the blood from it and all this normal mm-hmm. stuff. Like, this is a disturbed man. Yeah. Uh, the movie could have saved a lot of time by saying, bro's not chill. Yeah. <laughs> there, there's all <laughs> no the, like... chill in this man. So how much... Let, let me, let me like, examine this because I've got it kind of open in the other uh, frame here. Like, the, they're the... This, the polaroid photos and the voiceover Mm. kind of walking through his his first crime and what he was doing and the the childhood stuff um like all of this i guess is excised in the director's cut or is that where it picks up uh so or sorry the theatrical cut well (laughs) i don't know so all i saw of the of the director's cut was on tubi okay which my internet or not to be right or uh, i love near automata um (laughs) Or but but my internet just would not agree with it. It would not stream it. But I know that it starts on the title screen because I saw at least the first ten seconds of that version. <laughs> so when I went and then watched it on Amazon via Tubi, okay, no via M- Mubi, uh, which I or not for, Mubi, which I subscribed for then unsubscribed for after the movie. Um, no shade on Mubi. Just yeah, no, you got you got my you got my login. Uh, shh, don't tell him that's illegal. Uh, <laughs> I don't think it's uh, illegal. Sharing I noticed, the gift of cinema. I noticed there was a whole other opening and then the title card. So as for the the specifics, I'm not sure. All I know is that the version on Tubi started at the opening credits, and Mubi had the thing before the opening credits. Okay. Okay. Movie to be that was confusing, but hopefully people can piece it together which one I meant. So, also while we're speaking about the legacy of this film, it did eventually finally make its way uh, out of the censored closet of shame and was released uh, under a different title as Schizophrenia, which definitely colors your uh, interpretation and understanding of the film a little bit differently. I have to imagine. Um, I think Angst is a, is a much better title because, mm-hmm. you know, the title Schizophrenia, I think, implies a statement or yeah, a judgment about the, the the main character, which the text yeah. does not kind of literalize or come down on either side of, which I do appreciate for as much of yeah. for as much of it is very like prescriptive kind of murder podcast psychology about here's maybe why he did some of the things that he did. Again, this is a film that just depicts action in motion and doesn't stew too much on it and doesn't pass too much judgment of its own and doesn't 
doesn't even ask you to do that much as a viewer. Like by the time it ends, you've really kind of just like, you know, watched a documentary or a stage play or something like that of, of all of these things playing out. It's very theatrical. Yeah. I mean, the, the easiest connection to make really is like between this movie and others is like Gaspar Noe. Like definitely I Stand Alone, which feels like a direct homage to this. But he has been ripping the camera off of these films for his huh. entire career, which I, I don't say judgingly. Like, I love how he moves his camera, and I'm glad to see kind of the, the origin point of it. But I also think the the matter-of-factness of it, like, you can watch a lot of his films, and they, they don't really stop to meditate on what's happening, especially the awful things that mm-hmm. are happening. Um, they kind of just keep going and let you be like, holy shit, I just saw that, but, like, no rest for the wicked, I guess. And that kind of feels cut from the same cloth as something like angst where it's like, you're just going to watch it, man. Think yeah. about it later. Deal I w- with it. Deal with it on your own time. I wonder if, uh, I wonder if Michael Haneke took any inspiration mm, from this film or, you know, sure. he's probably working in the same space, but thematically his films do a lot of that, which are just like, Hey, what'd you just see? Why'd you watch that? Why did you, why did you like sit through and endure this? <laughs> why, why did you, why did, why did we make this? You know? Yeah. I mean, like the thing that's kind of a bummer about it is like, I'm sure it is a big influence, but it's just not that talked about of a movie. The Velvet Underground of, of serial killer movies, where not a lot of people saw it, <laughs> sure. but everyone who saw it made their own serial killer movie. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, so I'm sure it has had a bigger impact that we're just maybe not aware of, because I think it's just like kind of a sleeper hit, man. If you know, you know. If you don't, you don't. It's not yeah, a, it feels like amazing. It feels like a missing link in this genre or style of film. I don't even want to call it a horror film because it doesn't, and I don't want to call it like a slasher, but um, like it's got, there's so much DNA from this film that has in the years since the decades since feels like it's just kind of pollinated out there. And now when you return to something like this, I I can definitely imagine people watching this and just being like, okay, I've seen it a hundred thousand times, (laughs) but uh, you know, being, being there early, there's some credit to it. Yeah, and worth pointing out, the director didn't make any features after this. Like, one and done. So like that lady who wrote uh, To Kill a Mockingbird or whatever, Harper Lee. Mm-hmm. That, no, she ended up writing another book. Like, she wrote the sequel, later, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, Well, our boy behind angst was more artistically confident, I guess, than Harper Lee and wrote a better text. How would the sequel to this look like the, the legacy? Uh, imagine if, if Jason Blum got his growy paws on angst, oh the rights to this yeah. thing. Uh, well, it would be about 3,000 times louder than this film. Longer. First off. Yeah, there would just be so many stingers like... Maybe there would maybe there would be a podcast. Oh, then then they'd have the little creeping string sounds like. God, let's zoom in on the music for a little bit. It's this like, it's haunting crazy. ethereal, <laughs> electro organ music that again, yeah, sounds like a Halloween, a Carpenter film. Sounds like Suspiria for sure. Um, it's it's haunting for most of it, but then there's one song in there that's fucking banger. Ber- Berlin Warehouse Club banger, and man, you know what? It doesn't fit. It's a bad choice. Which um, which scene is this playing under? It plays multiple times. Okay. It's just like the it's like the upbeat song that plays. It's like, all right, let's go. Now, now I, we're in it. I mean, I'm just kind of like, I'm I'm vibing with this movie so hard that when it's when it's when it's giving me those signals, that's like, this is intense. Yeah. Where are we going? What are we doing? I'm like, I don't fucking know. You tell me. You're the movie. Uh, there's a song that just sounded way too excited for me. I was like, I was like, you just need some like some minor chords in here somewhere to make it sound creepy because right now like i'm i'm, I'm hyped up I'm yeah having fun that's that's what that's i don't have many complaints about this film i don't think it hit me as hard as it hit you but i did not like one of the songs in that because it was like i can't watch a man stab this woman to death and then feel like i'm gonna go into the disco deck you know yeah. like it doesn't work it doesn't work for me um nonetheless god another one of my favorite bits is when he's kind of leaving the city and he gets in that taxi and very quickly decides like it seems like he's almost done it before where he's like okay i'm gonna just like use my shoelaces to choke out the taxi driver and he's doing he's very clumsy about it and she's like very clearly clocking him trying to get his shoelaces out and she's asking him she's like hey what are you doing stop what are you doing yeah and she like slams on the brakes stops the car (laughs) and she sees him holding the thing prepared to choke her out 
and that's where he starts running through the woods and how he ends up at the house. But like that, I don't even want to call it comedy, little kind of brevity or just sort of naturalistic moment. And then, and then that yeah, well, calls back to the end of the film as well. I mean, I don't know if it's like humor per se, but there is something uh, satisfying perhaps about watching this murderer just completely fuck up for 90 minutes. Like, he never has a good kill. Like, everything he wants this whole time, like, he fucks up out of sheer incompetence, which I don't think it's funny, because I don't think it's a funny movie. I think it is, there's a satisfaction there of being like, well, I'm fucking stuck with this asshole. At least he's not doing a good job of it. I mean, ultimately, he gets what he wants. <laughs> I mean, it's not like him, it's like, not like you're rooting for his, his kills to go right, off without a right. hitch, but you're kind of watching it. And in the same way, it's like you're not... You're not um, connected or attached to the other characters in this film because you just don't spend a ton of time with them you're you're rooting for them obviously because it's like hey these innocent people shouldn't have their house broken into um and be murdered but so much of the ambiguity and indecisiveness of the narrative just sort of lends it to where i'm like i'm kind of just i'm kind of just watching you know what i mean i'm kind of just like well I'm, i'm watching a movie what's going on here what the hell was up with the house so it is this like beautiful like empty. home. <laughs> yeah, it's this beautiful home that's pretty big and has three people living inside and it's empty. There's a bed in the living room and a lamp and that's about all you see for and and a phone upstairs on the ground. Yeah, like the walls are so starkly kind of plastered with just like these mm-hmm. these sickly gross colors and even that bit where he's breaking into the house by smashing through the glass window he doesn't do it particularly well and then the mother is the one to notice that hey this fucking ornate glass window is broken and and someone's clearly in the house it's just like yeah i think that's meant to kind of call to you mentioned that like she's a widower and the son uh has a disability and so it's just kind of like they're living a pretty hard stark life and i think the empty nature of their house really just like brings that to the forefront what, what do you think about the dog? I, I saw I saw theorized, which I kind of buy, that the dog is the audience surrogate. You know, this, sure. This, woof, woof. Well, I'm a big I, dog. I was thinking about it. You know, the, the dog is just kind of watching the whole time, unable to do anything or say anything other than when the, he does try to attack the man, though. I think that was just a less had didn't have anything to do with the narrative more. They just had an untrained dog on set. Um, but noticeably, the dog does get in the car with him at the end. I don't, Which I thought was yeah. kind of interesting. I'll tell you someone I did, I was worried for this little, this little cutie pie. <laughs> oh, I thought this I, dog was catching a stray so hard. Look, I saw this man munching on a sausage 20 minutes ago. When you show me a dachshund on the screen, I'm like, is he going to eat that fucking thing? And there's no biggest way it's, shock. Yeah. Biggest shock of the film is the dog lives through the end of it. I thought that dog <laughs> was to, dead as fuck. I got to be honest with you. I was not like doing a deep read or a sort of psychoanalysis of what the I dog just, was. I, I mean, that's an interesting, that's an interesting thing. I was just kind of like, look, it, it's shorthand in a film like this for complete yeah. innocence to just be like a cute puppy. You don't want the serial killer to kill the cute puppy, huh? And yeah, the, the, the lack of resolution there, maybe, I mean, the, the ambiguous note that this film ends on, is just kind of like, okay, he unsuccessfully tried to go on a murder spree again, We've been mm. here before, implying the sort of like, you know, yeah. cyclical or maybe it's a commentary on the sort of lack of, of justice in the, the criminal well, penal system. I, it is interesting. The, the ending of the film, you know, everything has gone wrong for everyone, which in the victim's case is, you know, par for the course for a slasher film. Dead. Though <laughs> Yeah, there, I guess there's no final girl here, but that's beside the point. But, like, you know, the movie also – think about, like, you know, uh, I guess Halloween would have come out recently before this, and that, that kick-started this whole slasher boom. Part of the reason you go to watch a slasher is to see people get killed in really gnarly and elaborate and over-the-top ways. And this movie ends on this interesting note where – all the kills have gone really bad. None of it looked cool or fun the way I don't think, I don't think Halloween is like, Hey, root for Michael Myers, but also (laughs) like the kills are fucking cool. You know what I'm saying? This movie doesn't even give you that. And then 
the resolution at the end is he got caught, which is also kind of not what you want from a slasher. As a viewer, think about the end of the original Halloween. Michael Myers gets shot, and then it shows he's he's gone. Yeah. And the resolution here is like, yeah, he got, he got caught. And so it's like, it leaves in this interesting place where it's like, I don't know if that was... I, I, I don't know the thoughts behind why this movie was made, what the messages might have been. But I do think it's interesting that it comes out a few years into the slasher boom and across every metric, it zigs instead of zags, you know, it's from the killer's perspective. The kills are not fun, impressive or satisfying. The killer gets caught, which you may think you want in a slasher, but you don't because you want to see Halloween two and three (laughs) and four. And it's just like, it's very interesting to see this movie commit to, I don't mean in a quality perspective, but being disappointing at every turn for the viewer, like being like, this is what you want. Well, this is not what you get, you know? Yeah. I I mean, I I think it's all there in the title, which is that it's just feeling it's, it's eliciting a kind of visceral emotional response. And you'd be, I think you'd be hard pressed to not have a reaction to this film in, in either way. You can enjoy watching it. You can hate watching it, but um, it's really just, putting you in this this dark headspace and really like forcing you to just sit through these things yeah and i loved it because i'm a fucking pervert (laughs) yeah you are you got any (laughs) recommendations you fucking perv um i mean we talked noah we talked hanukkah those are touch points i think um you know something noir tinged uh like night of the hunter definitely shares some dna with this film i also was thinking just maybe like the europeanness of it and and the score and costumes in particular um one of my all-time faves nicholas rogues don't look now uh which is you know more supernatural and not as much of a slasher as this movie but it's got that little lady at the end which no no me gusta (laughs) no me gusta yeah like that's a film too where a lot of it is about just like living in these dour and unfortunate circumstances um yeah europe (laughs) facts say it again what else uh the film maniac which is kind of coming out at the same time as this doing the same sort of just like live with this fucked up killer that's a that's a bit more exploitative and kind of working in that like shock schlock genre yeah. but that's a fun watch and um henry portrait of a serial henry killer. portrait of a serial killer i definitely wanted to bring up as well for sure thank you by the director of your favorite movie wild things brother you said it not Should me we watch wild things, Should we watch wild things? <sighs> okay it's pl- Should we watch species on the day that we're recording this, uh, Wild Things is playing at the Alamo Draft House in my neighborhood at nine thirty p.m. Oh, I don't think I don't think I can God. do it. But should we do a Brooke Shields? Is that who's in that? Not Brooke Shields. Who is that? Nev Campbell, Denise Richards. Should we do a Denise Richards season? I don't think we'd get through. I don't. I don't think I could stay <laughs> on topic long enough. Uh, okay, my recommendations. I got a few. Um, Henry Porter was serial killer. Yeah, that was the obvious That's one. I can't believe movie. I forgot that. <laughs> That's it's weird how popular that movie is. Like how many people I know that just fucking love that movie despite it just being so mean and nasty. Anyway, speaking of mean and nasty movies made in Germany, a few years ago this movie called The German Glove came out. Oh yeah, yeah, good pull. Uh, did I say the German glove? The golden yeah. glove. The golden glove. Uh, this is a movie I – so it came out in 2019. It is about the serial killer Fritz Hunka. Uh, I, I, I'll say – I'll caveat this with I didn't love it personally, but I respect its commitment to the bit. Um, you, It tells the story of Fritz, this notorious serial killer who frequented a bar called the Golden Glove, which as far as I know is still around in uh, Hamburg. Hmm. Uh, he lives in this apartment. It might be above it. I can't remember. Um, this movie's fucking gross, AJ. Uh, it, have you seen it? Yeah. It's fu- okay. So you know, it just is like fucking it's like a weird, nasty. weirdly wet. Like all of it just feels damp mm-hmm. and fucking gross. Yeah. Yeah. It is. It makes you feel bad, <laughs> and I respect it for how hard it goes. It just like you're gonna follow this fucking gross dude who doesn't bathe himself, doesn't clean his apartment, does the nastiest thing you have 
ever seen to a woman <laughs> in in anything with a sausage. You want to talk about sausages and German films. My God, there's a nasty scene with a sausage in this movie. And then weirdly has a very, very uh, good depiction of addiction, sobriety, and relapse that I was not ready for. Hmm. Uh, it might be the best part of the movie, and it is certainly the least bloody or horror or whatever is when this movie goes into this like sobriety tale for a while uh, really yeah. interesting movie i kind of want to rewatch it i haven't i haven't watched it, it since i think i saw it in theaters when it came out i haven't watched it since yeah. it, it was pretty notorious when it came out yeah I people were just it. like no thank you not yeah <laughs> it it didn't land with me but now that i'm talking about it i kind of want to read it's an interesting it one the, the, like as soon it. as you mentioned it i mean you got the title wrong and i knew exactly yeah. what you were talking about the <laughs> yeah. kind of iconic image of the dude who looks like he like looks like it's David Thewlis, but it's not David Thewlis. Yeah. It's just kind of like wet dude with a broken nose. Have you seen the actor who played him? Like, I mean, I've seen the movie. <laughs> no, 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 no. Like that is like tons of makeup. Oh, I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The actor who played him, shockingly attractive. Good looking man. <laughs> um, not shocking. Shockingly attractive. If you compared only to see how he was in the film, the I, gold, I got yeah. you. All men are kings. We know that. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> not this guy. Maybe, maybe not the guy with the golden glove. Um, second recommendation, a Stone Cold classic. Uh, cinemaphiles probably know it, probably seen it. Some of the Rotten fans also maybe have seen it. Because uh, we talked about this not too long ago. Man Bites Dog. Oh, yes, sir. Uh, an early uh, predecessor to the new French extremity uh, movement. Don't think it's necessarily categorized as such. Uh, Man Bites Dog is a mockumentary. It is directed by three people. The central cast, the three central uh, main characters of the film, or the three directors of the film, Remy Belvoir, André Bonzel, and Benoit Paul Vaudray. Not sure on that last one. Uh, one Killing them, it. Remy Belvoir uh, uh, passed away, unfortunately. Um, it's a mockumentary uh, about a serial killer. You follow him through just his day-to-day life, seeing his job as a mail carrier, meeting his family, meeting his girlfriend, seeing him interact with his community, playing with kids, and uh, killing people. And I don't know, man, pound for pound, maybe one of the funnier movies I have ever seen. Just scenes in this movie that are so ridiculous in their concept that like, I'll just think about them sometimes and start laughing. Like It is a deeply funny film. Uh, that goes so dark so quick and obviously the subject matter is a little dark it's about a serial killer but just like a truly just taboo pushing uh expectation defying film uh that i think is highly worth a watch it's you know ultimately gets into like ideas of consumption of violent media and all that good stuff but i think just take it on its surface man bites dog a stone cold heavy hitter classic like god that movie rules so hard an unadulterated glimpse into the mindset of one blake hester <laughs> dude we should wa- are we doing are what we doing stalker next one week? of those we have, um uh, i'm I think, we, I think next week by by this by the <laughs> recording schedule we should find you should finally be hearing our thoughts on andre tarkovsky's stalker uh and if not something else but maybe man bites dog have you seen that movie? Yeah, it's been a long time, but yeah. Oh man, okay, we'll see. We've done a whole season in preparation for having one guest on. That's so right. Hopefully, we'll be able to get back to the well, and 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 season. yes, and then we've got a lot of fun stuff coming down the pipeline, which we're not going to tell you yet. But we've got two two ideas for two little mini mini seasons cooking that are going to be quite uh, exciting. We'll see. Stalker, man, I can't wait. Hardly That's know a her. Long movie. You you literally can't say that. I was watching uh, the Kino Corner. Yeah. Uh, at that YouTube channel. I think that's who it is. One of them. I watched a movie about the making of Stalker not too long uh-huh. ago. And uh, boy, sounded like a bad time. Why did uh, like, so many of them die? Because they were filming in like a Chernobyl type area that had <laughs> yeah. actual cancer in the air. Like a... I, um, yeah, maybe the best movie I ever made, wait. Stalker. <laughs> I can't wait. Okay, okay, that's where that's the expectation you could get me going into it. I mean, I I would say that like 
it, you know, if, 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 if the letterbox social media intern put a microphone in my face and was like, what are your four favorite films of all time? Stalkers. Mm. Uh, definitely at least one of them. I don't know if I've ever really sat down and thought, what do I think is the greatest movie of all time? Stalker. My knee jerk. I haven't seen Stalker. My knee jerk. I don't know. Maybe this makes me a vanilla bitch. Goodfellas. Goodfellas. I think Goodfellas might be more like more like like Goatfellas. Like moment to moment, second to second. I think that might be the greatest movie I've ever seen. And it's probably not even my top 20 favorite movies, but it's just like, oh, yeah, it's better than every movie I love. (laughs) Like, it's just the best. Anyway, the debate rages on. We'll be back next week, hopefully, to talk about. uh, We're going to be talking, stalking, finally. Talking, stalking. That's my new podcast. Talker, stalker. All right. Thanks for listening. Stalker, talker. Stalker, talk. Talking, stalker. Talking, tark. Bye.